just uh, spread like far into the distance in this building, but you know, all good. Welcome. How are we going? This is all right, hey? Plush. So good. And uh, I've never had one of these. I don't know if I'm allowed to use it, but I'm just going to go with it. What do we reckon? Now, you'll have noticed today a bit of clinking around the place. We're going to save the planet, people, one communion cup at a time. Uh, We have imported uh, not only glass communion cups, but uh, but communion cup dishwasher trays. And this place is a dishwasher, right? Like all mod cons. And so uh, I think at the moment we're still missing one communion cup. Um, don't steal them, all right? Like, don't like write your name on it. And okay, I'm going to say that for next week. Uh, so if you do find it, make sure you send it kitchen way. And um, I think it's a, I think it's a great advance. Well, we're in our uncommon series. This morning's message is entitled "Uncommon Protection." And I wonder um, if you discovered in your home a fortune underneath the floorboards. I wonder what you would spend it on first. Like, I wonder what debt you'd pay off. I wonder what thing you'd buy. I, I wonder what you'd give. Maybe, just maybe. Uh, but if you discovered a fortune, what would you do with it? You know, your belief about whether that fortune exists or not changes everything, right? Because if it exists, and I know some of you are going to go home and check right now, right? But if that exists and you didn't know it exists, nothing would change about the way you behaved. Nothing would change. If it existed and you didn't know it existed, nothing would change. But as soon as you did know it existed, everything would change. Right, right, what do I spend it on? What do I buy? I want you to see that what you believe about that fortune changes everything. And I want you to see that this has relates to what we believe about God. Because if you have believed in Jesus, you have invited the greatest treasure into the very core of your being. But that treasure can exist and you can be ignorant of it. And if you don't really genuinely know the value of what it means to be in relationship with God, you can completely underestimate it. You can live your life as if that treasure didn't really exist. If I have one thing that I want to want to urge you in right now, but in these coming weeks, it's this: that you would you would treasure what God has done for you. You would treasure what God has done in your life. That you would you would care about what you believe about God, because I genuinely believe it changes everything. And as we look through this passage today, you're going to see that actually what we believe about God matters very much. My big idea today, if you fall asleep on these comfy chairs and cushions, we've got cushions now, like, whoa. If you fall asleep, like, just listen to this and you will go away with at least something this morning. This We're talking about uncommon protection and here's what I want you to go away with. Uncommon protection, the way the Father protects us is that He is safeguarding the truth about God. Uncommon protection is safeguarding the truth about God. We are in uh, John 17. We're in four weeks where we're looking at this prayer of Jesus as he's anticipating the cross. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. Uh, If you've got eyes, you can look at the screen. And if you don't have eyes, you can't see, you can listen to my wonderful reading voice. I've been practicing all week. We're going to read from verse 6. 
of chapter 17 of John. Let's go. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. He's talking about the disciples. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Clear as mud, right? Like, you're looking at that going, we need no explanation. It makes absolute sense. Should we pray? Lord, Lord, we need your help today. God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the treasure that is scripture. I want to thank you for the difference it's made in our lives over the years. And God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit today, you bring it to light for us. You bring it to life for us. Lord, I pray that tomorrow will be different. Because of what we discover in your word today. We thank you for the richness of John's words. But God, they can be hard to comprehend sometimes. And I pray, God, for clarity today. I pray for light today. We pray for change today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. You can feel free to say amen. Jesus is praying in anticipation of going to the cross. He knows that something is about to change in in the way the disciples are going to live. That up until now, they've been in this living, breathing relationship with him. But he's about to go to the cross, rise again, and uh, spoiler alert, and ascend to the Father. And so he knows that he's going away. In anticipation of that, he is praying for his disciples. And he knows that the world he is leaving them in is hostile. Hostile to God, hostile to the message about God, and therefore will be hostile to followers of Jesus. Jesus knows they need protection. And so this is what he prays. Father, would you protect these disciples? Then you're like, well, what protection from what? Because when you look at the disciples in the New Testament, right, when you read the book of Acts, like if Jesus was praying for physical protection, that protection wasn't very good, right? <laughs> you know, they were arrested, they were beaten, they were, uh, they were put in prison. Eleven out of these, uh, ten out of these eleven guys that were remaining at this moment would lose their lives pretty soon. Only John would remain uh, towards the end of the first century. And so Jesus isn't praying for physical protection, But what is he praying for protection for? If you go to verse 11, I'm going to sort of deal with this passage a little bit backwards today. Go to verse 11. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one. So that they may be one as we are one. Number one thing that Jesus is wanting the Father protect the disciples from is division. And I don't know about you, but 
You know, when the pressure comes on, remember he's talking about hostility, right? When the pressure comes on, it can put relationship under strain. You know, anybody maybe have a little bit of strain in some of the relationships of people you were living with during lockdown? Like maybe, just maybe. As we are under pressure, as we're under stress, as we face hostility from people around us, it can put relationship under strain. And Jesus knows that's the environment they're going into. He's like, Father, would you protect them from division? Would you keep them united? You know, he knew. I mean, think about the, the history of the church over the years. How, much, how many church splits have there been? How many divisions have they been? How many people have left churches because they just couldn't get over the differences that they were there? And we know that 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 that, that breakdown in relationship comes because either uh, because of hard heartedness, either somebody won't forgive and overlook an offense, or somebody won't say sorry. And if those two things don't happen, a breakdown in relationship happens, and people go their own way. There has been the church has been littered with division. You know, one of the things I so celebrate in this area, right, is the combined services over the last few weeks. And I know as you've attended some of those services, you might have been like, you might have gone to, you know, with Chris Dodds at St. Aidan's Anglican and gone, okay, this liturgy is a little bit unfamiliar for me and I don't really know what I'm doing. But one of the things I love is that, you know, the church can be expressed in so many different ways and it's healthy for us to experience how other people worship. It's healthy for us to be in a more charismatic environment at Gateway. It's helpful for us to be maybe in a more sort of down-to-earth vibe at, at Salvation Army. But you know what? Every single one of those churches, like, it is so unfamiliar for me to be in such deep relationship with those guys. You know, Jenny and I treasure those ministers, treasure those pastors. And every single one of them has a heart to see this world change, these suburbs transformed by the work of God through the church. And you know what? I didn't get a chance to go to the Salvation Army when we were away, but we went to St. Aidan's, we went to Gateway. You, if you were with us in the school hall last week, it packed out. It was standing room only. And to hear that every single one of those churches has a heart to see this area change through the work of God, and in every single one of those services, I heard the message of Jesus articulated so clearly. The unity that we see in the churches around here. And, 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 but that, doesn't, that isn't cheap. It doesn't come around by accident. It comes around through work. And we're praying, Lord God, protect the church in this area. Let us not be divided. Let us hold in unity. Here's the second thing Jesus is praying for when he says, I'm praying for their protection. Look at this. Verse, uh, back end of verse 12, it says, None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Okay, Jesus is praying not only protection against division, He's praying protection against people falling away. Now I realize this gets us towards tricky, tricky material, right? Where we begin to talk about Judas. Because it says he fell away but so that Scripture would be fulfilled. And then you come up to this point of like, well, did he have any choice? Like, is it fair? And I think one of the things, I, don't, I can't go into it in you know, lots of detail today, but here's why I want to say throughout the whole of Scripture, God is sovereign. Nothing happens that God doesn't allow. And I realize that's painful at times for us to acknowledge, but we have to acknowledge that God is sovereign. Because if we don't, we're left in more shaky territory, which would be to something, what happens with stuff that happens outside of His control. Like nobody wants to go there, right? God is absolutely sovereign. And yet we are 100% responsible for the choices that we make. 
And Judas betraying Jesus is somehow within the sovereignty of God. He always knew it would happen and it was written in scripture. And at the same time, Judas is 100% responsible for the decisions that he made. And here Jesus is saying, Lord God, Heavenly Father, don't let these guys fall away. Let them hold to the truth that they have come to know about me. You know, the tragedy I think today is the number of people you will talk to who will say something like, I used to, I used to go to church. I used to believe in God. And then something happened. You know, then my wife left me. Then, my, then, then I lost a child. Then I got sick. Then I lost a parent. Something like that. Something traumatic goes on in somebody's life. And, so, and, and it's caused them to go, God is not who I thought he was. If, I'm, if I love him, if I follow him, there's no way this should happen in my life. This can't be true. I'm going away. And the tragedy is when we allow our circumstances to conflict with what God has revealed about himself such that we go, no, I'm going. And Jesus is praying, Lord God, in all that they are about to go through, in all that they are going to face, Father, protect them. Don't let them fall away. Don't let what they believe about you change. Don't let them fall away. You know, the thing is that you and I live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is racked with sin. And you and I as followers of Jesus, if you're following Jesus today, you are not immune to the effects of that. But in the midst of it, Jesus is saying, would they hold on to the truth that God has revealed about himself? And so there we go. So those are the two things that I think Jesus is praying that they would be protected from. So he didn't say, well, how does that protection come? I think we see it twice. Go to verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. He repeats a similar thing then in verse 12. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost. And he goes on. And so there's this sense of being, okay, protect them by the power of your name, God. I think this passage carries the, the, right, the right meaning, but it's pretty tricky for us to understand. Okay, protect them by the power of your name, but, but what does that actually mean? I think it's helpful here for us to turn to uh, a more literal translation of the scripture. I, I find this version harder to read, but actually word for word, it's more accurate, more faithful to the original text. It's the ESV. We're just going to open up one of the verses, two of the verses. East, e, ESV doesn't stand for East Standard Version, East Special Version, anything like that. It's uh, English Standard Version, actually. And here we go. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me. And again, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, the name you have given me. Okay, so let's go back. Like verse eight says this, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. Okay, so Jesus comes along with a message about the father. It reveals the father. What did they do about that? They accepted them. They believed in the name of God. They believed right things about God. They believed that Jesus came from the Father, that he was the Son of God. And so they accepted that. They believed in the name of God. And so what Jesus is praying there is the way you guard against division and the way you guard against falling away is that you keep with the belief you had in the first place. 
You accept right things about God and you hold to right things about God. And so this helps us understand. This helps us understand then, well, what is it that Jesus is doing? Think about it. No, in fact, I'm going to go somewhere else first. Sorry, I'm going to go somewhere else first. What does it mean to be kept in the name? What does it mean to be kept in the name? Names are funny things, right? I remember uh, we knew some, we had some friends in the UK and they had their third child and they came and said, hey, uh, we, we've had a son and his name's Wesley. And I remember thinking, Wesley? Wow, that's a funny name to call a child. Like it was really unfamiliar for me at the time. I'm like, you don't like to say when somebody calls their child something a little bit strange. You're like, Wesley, really? I don't really know. No insults if your name's Wesley, right? But I don't think we've got any Wesleys here. But you know what? As that child grew up and, I, and, and we watched him, we got to, know that, got to know him, got to see him, got to hear him. Suddenly Wesley became, the name of Wesley became synonymous with the person we knew. Suddenly it wasn't strange anymore. And God does exactly the same thing. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 34, he, he says, my name is Yahweh. And if you go to chapter 34 of, of Exodus, I think we've got, got it here. God not only says, hey, this is my name, the Lord, it's translated from the word Yahweh. He says, the Lord, the Lord. And he not only tells him his name, but he says, this is what you are to think about when you think about my name. I'm the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He says the Lord Yahweh can be trans is better sort of more literally known as I am. So he says, I am compassionate. I am gracious. You know, I'm the great, uh, unchangeable. I am. And when you think about my name from now on, these are the things that you are associated with me. I think this helps us then understand Jesus. When you understand that Yahweh means I am, when you go to verse 6 and Jesus says, I revealed you to those you gave me, you realize that that, that Jesus has come revealing the Father. And John throughout his gospel reveals Jesus as I am. I am, I am, I am, I am. He is linking uh, Jesus to this moment. He's saying, I revealed the Father, which then helps you understand why he was praying for this this protection because something different was about to happen. Just as Jesus had been walking with the disciples, if they came up with a wrong belief, they could look at him and see God. They could hear him and see God. It was sort of bringing them into line constantly. Whereas with him going, suddenly then Jesus isn't going to be physically present among them. And so he's saying, I'm praying, Father, that you would keep them in this, rela- in this revelation. Keep this in, in this revelation that I am. And that this is what they're to think about when you think about me. I think what this helps us to understand is that what we believe about God matters. And the challenge in our culture, of course, is that people are deeply mistrusting about anything that's external, any sort of external authority. And so what it can lead us to do, and I see this challenge in my own life, is when I open up scripture, I want to I believe the things that I love and I want to dispense with the things I don't love, the things that are a little bit awkward. And yet we have to hold to what God has revealed about himself. What God has revealed about himself through scripture. What God has revealed about himself through Jesus. We have to hold on to that. And so 
what I want to do this morning, just in sort of as we move through this, is saying, well, if Jesus is praying for our protection from division and praying for our protection from falling away what are some things that this passage tells us that we're to hold to i realize there's heaps of things we could go through scripture right now and go here's all the things we should be believing about god here's the these are the sort of core things that we're to believe but i want to show you three things in this passage about what we believe about god and what we're to hold to that i think are really important number one is this when you go to verse 11 god uh, jesus reveals the father as a holy father the god we have believed in is a holy father holy is this word that means set apart it means holy other it's like supreme completely different and yet at the same time he reels them as the father someone is personal and close and intimate he is a holy father and if through jesus god has made a way for you to know this holy God as intimately as a father can I say it says something about you it says that you are significant you know you and I search for significance in all sorts of places you can search for it in wealth you can search for it in a career you can search for it in the people around you you know this was revealed to me a little bit a few years ago when I interviewed for a job at the street we were on holiday in Australia at the time we lived in the UK and um, I got flown over for an interview and I landed at immigration here and um, and I just had like uh, I had I'm a, I'm a husband but I had no wedding ring I've lost three wedding rings um, one marriage but like four wedding rings um, and I'm an immigration I'm a, I'm a husband I had no wedding ring on because I just lost it in the ocean um, I had no children with me I'd set a backpack on my back with Bear Grylls autobiography in it. You know, go figure. And, and I turn up to immigration and I suddenly realize, wow, who am I? Like I'm in, a, I'm in a foreign country entering immigration and all the things that I've sort of attached to my identity are suddenly not there. Suddenly, what do, I wonder what people think about me. I wonder what people think about who I am. There's nothing to tell them about anything else that's going on in my world. It's just me. And it was a weird moment because I realized how much significance um, I received from the people in my world and the things I do and the things that I have. And when I was stripped down to just me and a Bear Grylls autobiography, I realized, wow, how much significance I associate with those things. And I just wonder for you, if we just dropped you on a street corner, would you still be significant? You know, if we stripped away your job, if we stripped away your house, if we stripped away your friends and your family, if we stripped away so many things in your world and just put you on a street corner or put you in a big crowd, do you know in that moment you are still significant? You have a heavenly, a holy father, set apart, holy other, completely supreme, who has made a way for you to, for you to call him by the most intimate name. You're my father. And you can have everything in your life stripped away and still know you are absolutely, infinitely, deeply significant. Because you, you have a holy father. Here's another thing I want you to see about, the sort of linked to that in this passage, that we, a belief that you and I have to hold to. Not only we're significant because we have a holy father, but notice uh, what Jesus says, verse 6. He says, I, uh, they were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Verse 9, 
uh, Jesus says, um, you, have given, uh, you have given them to me, for they are yours. Do you notice the belonging language? Do you notice the ownership language? Not only are you significant because you have a holy father, but because of that also, you belong. You belong to the Father. You belong as part of the family. You know, in my life, I've done so many stupid things. I, I, I was brought up in a Christian home. I had absolutely no excuse for some of the mistakes I made. And yet I ran away from it. But do you know what? I always knew that I belonged to my family. And I knew that the way I was living uh, really distressed my parents. And I think for them, half the time, like ignorance was bliss. Just like, don't really... Ask too many questions about what Simon's up to. But you know what? I never entered into a transactional relationship with my parents. I never entered into that sort of relationship where like, well, as long as I'm good enough, as long as I'm doing this, then I know that I'm part of the family. I knew that I could behave however I wanted and I was still welcome. Now, I'm not saying that, okay, so you guys, let's just behave how we want. We belong to the Father. But I am saying that I think we can sometimes enter into a transactional relationship with God. We say, like, I'm, 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 I'm only really belong when I'm good enough. I'm only, I only really belong when, when I'm keeping the rules that really I've decided are the way that I'm going to prove to myself that I'm doing okay. We can enter into that sort of transactional relationship with God. But I think what Jesus wants us to know here is one of the fundamental things that you and I are to believe about God is not only that he is a holy father, but that we belong to him. That when you came to believe in Jesus, everything you have ever done is washed clean. And you enter into this relationship where he's your heavenly father and you belong. A child never has to earn their place. They can never lose their place. They are a child, a son, a daughter forever. Here's the final thing I want you to see. Where are we? We're going to go to verse 8. Verse 8 says this, For I have given them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Here's the other thing. We believe that the Father has sent the Son. And I realize that these are basic things. And some of you have been like, oh, come on. Let's get to some meaty things. But this is one of the basics that we have to hold to. That the Father sent the Son. The reason we get this opportunity to have a relationship with God. The reason we get to call Him a Holy Father. The reason you and I belong as, as a child of God, as part of the family. Is that Jesus came to perfectly reveal the Father. He came to share the words of the Father. And to do the will of the Father. Which meant He died in the place of humanity. And we have talked about this this morning as we've shared communion. That the Father sent the Son. So that the Son could die in the place of humanity. So that you and I could be forgiven could be washed clean, could be set free to live a brand new life and to be brought into this restored relationship with the God who made you, the one who desires to call you as Heavenly Father and desires that you would live life with this eternal hope of union with Him. I cannot tell you the times that this truth, simple as it is, has held me. Because like I've said, you and I aren't immune from the challenges of this world. You and I aren't immune from the pain of this world. And if you know me, I'm pretty competitive, pretty, quite a lot. Uh, and, and I don't really like asking for help. 
I love to just be able to get on and do it and, and work out how to do something. I'm YouTube trained at so many things. And I remember one time, though, at work in the UK, and I was so under pressure. I remember calling Jenny. I'd been working through the night. I remember calling Jenny at about 6 a.m. in tears. I was under so much pressure. And that was such a... I'm trying to let you in on how deep this moment was that I would reach out and say, I need help in this moment. I just need somebody that I can talk to about the pressure that I'm under. And I've told this story before, but I'll keep telling it until you remember it. I remember then... And a meeting that day, walking out and getting a break from a meeting, going into the toilet and just looking in the mirror, washing some water in my face. And it's like God spoke to me in that moment. He said, Simon, they cannot take your salvation. They, they, there's so much that you could lose in this moment. So much that could go wrong with this, with this job that you're doing. But they cannot take that which is most precious, that the Father sent the Son to die in your place, to reconcile you to God, to give you an eternal hope. And do you know what? It didn't change how awful that work situation was. But I walked back into that meeting room with a completely different perspective. Suddenly I could hold it out there like, that's just life right now. This is a situation that's going on. And yeah, it's still going to cost me sleep. And yes, I'm still going to be in pain over it. Yes, it's still going to hurt. But they cannot take from me that which is most important. That I belong to the Father. That I have a Holy Father. And I've been born into a relationship with Him. Because the Father sent the Son to die in my place. Do you know that today? Because the thing is, there are situations in your life. Circumstances that can go on. And believe me, I know. Because people, you guys tell me, you guys say to me, would you pray about this? Would you pray about that situation? I know about some of the things that are going on. And and, and I would guess that with what I know, there are so many more things that are going on underneath that I don't know about. There are so many painful situations, particularly last year, that are going on in this small church community. And if you don't, uh, if you're not careful, You could allow those circumstances to inform you about God. He's not really good. He's not really faithful. He's not really sovereign. He's not really in control. I'm not really a child of God because if I was, I wouldn't be going through this. And what Jesus wants here, don't fall away. Don't fall away. And, 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 and don't get put under pressure in that so that we sort of head off in different directions. Hold on to what Jesus has revealed to us, that he's a holy father and that you belong and you're significant. And if everything else gets stripped away, he still sent his one and only son to deal with your greatest need, that you would know God. Can we hold to those basic truths? Can we hold to those basic truths? I just wonder as I close, what's one thing for you this morning? Would you just take a couple of moments? Jamie's going to come up and lead us in worship. And I just wonder what it is for you today. And just before we move anywhere, before we move a muscle, I just wonder if we could just take a moment. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to bow your head. Say, oh Lord, What is it this morning 
that you just need to hear from him? You know, is it that you belong? Is it that you're significant? Is it a reminder of the way God has revealed himself that he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love? Is it the more unpalatable end to that verse where it says that yeah, he does not leave the guilty unpunished? Because with what's gone on, you need to know that God is just and he's going to deal with that person who's done that to you. Maybe that's what you're holding on to this morning. God, I'm crying out for your justice. Holding on to the fact that you're either going to judge that person or they'll believe in Jesus and they'll know that it's already been dealt with. I wonder what it is. Maybe it's that you're clinging on to thank you that you died for me. I wonder in this moment of response whether you've ever come to a place where you've actually believed in Jesus. Right now, I'd encourage you, you can begin that conversation. God, I don't know I belong. I don't know I'm significant. I didn't know that Jesus died for me. Or if you did, you've never responded. In this moment, you can begin to call out to God. Say, Father, thank you that you love me. I acknowledge my sin is separated from you, but I thank you that the Father sent the Son to die in my place. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Adopt me into your family. Pour out your spirit into my life to lead me in a brand new way. Begin that conversation with God. And if you're praying that prayer for the first time, we'd love to meet you after the service and help you in this journey. I wonder what it is for you today. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the truth that you revealed about yourself. I pray that by your spirit, what we've talked about this morning wouldn't just be sort of empty words that disappear off, but they would resonate. That you would drive home for each and every one of us and for us corporately what it is that we need to cling on to. That like treasure underneath the floorboard, that when discovered changes everything, I pray that the truth about you would be believed and held on to and would, be, would change everything about us and the way we perceive everything in our lives and the people around us. Lord God, go to work, I pray. Go to work right now, I pray, by your Spirit. Bring freedom. Bring life. Bring hope. Bring healing. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, would you stand? We're going to worship.